0: There's this Fincher quote that has absolutely haunted me as I've inched closer and closer to directing my first film. The quote is this. The fact is, you don't know what directing is until the sun is setting and you've got to get five shots and you're only going to get two. Now, (laughs) that has been absolutely true as I've directed more and more commercials, shorts, and performance videos. There's almost always a moment in which the entire fate of the project hangs in the balance and how you make decisions in those moments is the real job. So, as someone who hasn't yet directed a feature, it's easy to idealize making a movie. But it's anything but ideal. It's blood and sweat and tears and bone and marrow. It's real, not some pie-in-the-sky fantasy. So as I get closer to making my own film, I've found myself wanting to ask so many questions of my friends and directing peers who have managed to run the gauntlet of making their own features. To be honest, they all come back to some version of a core question, which is this. What is the actual reality of directing a movie? How does it feel? What does it look like? So that's what this podcast is about. Notes on directing emerging out of conversations between two directors. Not the film school ideals, not the glorified hindsight, but directing when you're truly in it. When you're asking yourself why the hell you ever had the audacity to think that you could do this. Welcome to The Process Dispatch all right this is the second part of my interview with twin uh decided to split this one up it ended up being quite a long conversation as well i love getting to talk with these guys and so rather than compress the hell out of this thing we decided to leave it in two parts so this is the second part of my conversation on the process dispatch with the director's twin Yeah. So, so talk to me about learning curve. I mean, do you guys feel like you were a bit of a frog boiling in water in the scenario of like, you know, the budget kind of continually expanding for instance, or understanding kind of what was happening in any given moment. I'm curious about that kind of.
1: I think it comes down to first and foremost, you need to align yourselves with people that you trust and having the right producers, um, the the right people to have your back because th- it is a process as a first-time director that you're being condescended you know in certain conversations with different people right like people are saying so everyone else has done it except for you yeah i mean but honestly everyone on that set has done it before and you are the first one that has it so of course naturally you're going to have people say things like look when you do a few movies you're going to realize that this is not how it should work or whatever it is or they might say little catchphrases little little t-shirt slogans like trust the trust the process and you're like i don't believe in the process i don't believe in what you're trying to sort of get this movie to right now we want to we want to fight against that like the result the, the the process might be one thing but like you're trying to get me to a result using a process i don't want to use like I don't know, man. You, you got to go with your gut. You got to go with your instincts. You've got you to listen. You've got to stay very aware that at any moment you might miss something and you can't turn back. And so we were lucky that we had two of us and we had good communication. I'd say that at its core, super integral to our success. It is the ability to step back in any situation and go, am I fucking crazy? And look at someone... And and them go nah, dude. I feel exactly the same way. This yeah. is this is sketch. Yeah. Or- so so Ryan, number one, get yourself a clone that has mm. independent thought. That- <laughs> <laughs> Dramatically <laughs> in your endeavor.
0: I know. I might. I might have missed. The, I might have missed the boat on that. Okay. I feel like okay. I might be too late. Uh,
1: um. So, I think just staying aware of where things are going. There was a lot of times when you would have to take the opinion and trust your producers. And they would tell you this is the process and you're not always on those calls. Like Mm, there there were emails. Yeah. Or emails. There's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. And so I think like John said, that relationship is really key and you want to know that the people you're in bed with, you're not going to go to court with them in six months time. And they want to make the same movie you're making. That's the most important thing because in a movie that we made where you've got all of these different tones mashed up into the same thing, someone might have 70% sci-fi in their minds and you've got 20. Yeah. And they want to make, you know, transformers and you want to make this tiny other thing. So we all need to know we're going the same direction. Yeah. And just because you're the director doesn't necessarily mean you're in control of every single thing. Mm. So I think a beginner's mistake that I've seen before is people come out of the gate as a first-time director throwing their weight around. And I think it gets people's backs up it pisses off people who have done it a million times. And he's like, this guy doesn't know what he's he doing." And so you can blindly be too confident and blindly go in and say, no, we are redoing this whole process that you guys have set up for a hundred years. We're doing it my way. And I think that can be really detrimental. But I think a little bit of that is, is healthy and knowing that like, trust your gut the way that you make films, it's going to be better. Your relationship with your DP, key. You do not want to walk into there and have somebody like team you up with someone because they made this thing. And you'll like suddenly realize you're seven days into a 40 day shoot. And you're like, we don't get along and we see things very different ways. I mean, this has happened to, to first time directors all over the shop. And so if you can take as much of your process into the first film as possible, I think you're in a really good place. And that's probably why a lot of directors make these smaller sort of million dollar, two million dollar films, because they're allowed that level of creative control. They're allowed that level of bringing their uh, familiar crew members into this environment who may or may not have made movies before. Hmm. Um, You know, for for me and Josh, I think we were, were always a little bit more comfortable dealing with a much bigger industry and a bigger position for our film to sort of be born into because we had each other and we felt like we had an awareness of how things operate and how things work. We educated ourselves and the people around us, we trusted. Mm -hmm. And, and so with all of those things, I think we did as best we could. We, we still had moments we won some, we lost some. Yeah, we still had moments where you had to like back down and you can't battle everything. You gotta choose your battles at some point. But like, it was in the edit when we really realized that, ah, oh, this is a studio film. Like we're starting to get studio comments, studio notes. We're, we're doing test screenings, which is just the worst thing for a filmmaker ever, ever, ever. Sitting in the back row of a giant AMC with you know, 500,000 people in the theater. The, ne- the entire next 48 hours is a wash of just looking at cards and tearing them up with the editor and just laughing at other ones and and then and then going oh that's actually interesting we should try that or whatever so it you know it was that kind of back-end edit process that we realized all right this isn't just some indie film that we're making like we are part and we have a responsibility to our partners right now like that, so that, that, that was a bit eye-opening and, and certainly made the film what it is. And some of that was like what we wanted it to be. And some of it was like where it just went.
0: Are you guys big planners? Are you like war game, like have a plan, execute the plan type of people?
1: I can answer that both ways in my head. I mean, maybe within our duo, we have John's much more of a like cross the T's and dot the I's. I would say um, I'm probably a little more like let's do this tomorrow. We got this, but I think probably a bit of both. Coming we, from commercials, you you you're trained to do storyboards and yeah, you know, walk into a shoot where you've educated yeah. your client and your agency exactly what we're doing, and the wide shot leads into this close up, and mm. so I but, think but already we have that in us. But we also work very well and sometimes better by going off the cuff. And, and like knowing the feel and then walking in and going, all right, now what, what does it look like in the room? All right, that's cool. Let's go over here and shoot this thing. And I think some of our best work comes from spontaneity. We've actually termed it structured spontaneity. It's actually something we talk about in treatment sometimes when when the job is right. (laughs) It's, It's this real, it's this, it's this, do your research, know what you're talking about Think of every option and then allow it to be spontaneous when you walk in the room. And you will go. You will recognize it because you've thought of every avenue. And you walk in there and go, oh, yeah, this is cool. This is what we were hoping was going to happen. And then you go away and you shoot that. You don't know what you're doing necessarily, but you know what it feels like.
0: And do you feel like that's something that you had to muscle the space for on Ken?
1: Some days. I mean, we we were blessed to have a 47-day shoot for our first movie. So, you know, for instance, Larkin came off, I think, from memory, 21 or 22 days on Swiss Army Man with Daniels. So, you know, he was, like, in a situation where it's like, this is... This
0: is the greatest thing ever.
1: (laughs) Um, (laughs) But he will tell you we were still racing every day she like we have did not have the time Yeah, 47 you need 53 like it, every single time you're going to need more than you have but Larkin said in the past that like the one thing he wished on that film that would have made it better for all of us is we just had time to think didn't have time to think and if I could give you any advice one of them is just build in time to think if you can even if you were buying days even if you were like I will sacrifice other things so that we can have two more shooting days. You will just give yourself that chance, especially if you're not racing around and every day is a different location. You're going to have the time to just think and come up with setups and, and go, is there a better way of doing this?
0: And do you, do you feel like that you knew that at the time, but you just had a lot to accomplish and you just had to do it? Or do you feel like that's something that, you know, Larkin saying, "Oh, wish we had time to think, is that something that you knew in the moment, but it was like, we just have to plow through anyway?
1: I mean, I, I think we just had an, a very ambitious project and we had to make, and, and we're already, we're shooting in Toronto for a road trip across the United States and you're trying to make things look like other things and, and we, we may have less budget on certain things than we should have. And yeah, just, just filmmaking. But so the, the conversations at the very beginning with the producers was how much can we do this road trip? How much of this can, we, and you realize quite quickly, money rules everything. And so, no, we have to go to Toronto. Why? Well, because the financing is Canadian. And, and tax and, breaks, and, 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 and they offer a large tax break. Okay, so we're shooting this in Canada. We were lucky that Toronto, forty-five minutes out of the city, is rural as shit and looks like Nebraska, Idaho, or any of those you know states in the middle of the states. And the only thing we knew we wouldn't have is the desert of getting into Nevada and stuff like that. So we kicked and screamed to do a second section of the shoot that would only end up being two days.
0: Wow. Do you feel like that your commercial sets and then the set of kin are analogous in any way? Even though you were kind of engaged in this process that you had not done before, you know, navigating the kind of politics of of making a movie at this kind of scale, et cetera, et cetera. Do you feel did you feel comfortable in terms of like the actual physical mechanics of the actual filmmaking?
1: We were perfectly set up to make this by doing commercials and music videos for however many years. It was shocking to us how much background and research and and your history as a filmmaker translates perfectly to making a movie. So one of the best compliments we got after the film was one of the producers said, and, and I think other crew members as well, it feels like you guys have made 10 movies. And just... That that was one of the best compliments I've ever received. Yeah, that just that says a lot. It. it I don't think it's just us. I think you would be the same. I think you've done enough. You've been on enough sets. You've watched enough movies. You've you've been around enough cameras and crew, and you have an instinct of how these things need to work, or at least need to work for you to succeed. There were things that were new, and and we were learning of how the system works. Like I found it really interesting. I'd never ever and I'm um, maybe not the only one that I never realized the colored pages in a in a shooting script and what right. that means and right. so you'd have like your writer writing little rewrites and then instead of completely replacing every head of department scripts they'll bring in the, the color pages the, the blue pages the green pages and they all represent the different steps in changing it. Things like that, there's things like table reads or like giant sort of heads of department meetings where we talk about stunts and, and things. that You know, we've done wire work and things in commercials, but I guess like the way a movie works day to day and what your schedule looks like and the certain things that you're required to do, some of them are unique and but we were only, rolling with it. Only in a, this is cool kind of way. Yeah. Like not in a, I, I don't know what I'm doing like everything we felt very comfortable on set and it was like all right now you just get to put all your effort into a big project
0: yeah that's that's great so i i got the chance to go on set of fargo season 4 i guess back in february i got to go watch them for a few days as they were making one of the episodes of fargo and like i had that that realization i walked around i was looking around it was a really amazing experience for me just because i kind of got to look around and go like this kind of looks like what i mean this like if 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 dana the director walked up to me he's like dude i gotta go you need to take over i would have been completely fine i was not intimidated by the scale it's no different than any of the commercials i've been working on like um and if anything like there was no agency <laughs> no client there which i gotta was- say
1: that was the most refreshing thing like No disrespect to advertising world, but like directors are king on a picture film and you feel it. People come to you and they ask you your opinion. And when you call cut, there's no one there going, but can we we get one there?
0: one more like this, yeah.
1: It's like, this is your domain and you feel it in a very respectful way. As long as you have the respect of the people around you, they will they will kill themselves for you. I mean, it is a massive ego boost, your first week on set when you realize, I mean, it can be very scary as well, I would imagine, of like, this is all on you, don't fuck up. Yep. <laughs> but like, you have all the power and you better have done your homework and know what you're doing because everyone's looking to you. But once you feel comfortable with that and you're all friends and you're all trying to make something great, it's so liberating, it's mm. so wonderful that's that's why directors do it is because they're like someone's paid a certain amount of money for us to go away and put my ideas on film it's awesome and look what where we are and look what we're doing right now it's it's ridiculous
0: so talk to me about how you guys work with actors i'm curious on two fronts number one you guys did have the good fortune of you know, having some quite recognizable people in your film. I think there is there is definitely a difference between directing actors and directing celebrities. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious about that. And then I'm curious, like, just nuts and bolts wise, like how you guys kind of handle presenting unified vision on set.
1: That was one of the most early sort of things that we, we promised each other, that we wouldn't contradict each other on set. And the worst thing that could happen is for one of us to say something to an actor and the other one just hold the role for a second and run up and say the exact opposite. That's our nightmare, and and it happened in a very subtle way early in our careers on a commercial, and someone you know said something like, "Oh, here we go. This is the problem working with you know brothers or whatever." And and we just were like, "Never, never again. can happen again." So you know we pretty much do everything we can. We have little brother twin brother systems, like tapping each other or holding a finger up when to sort of butt in that we're doing right now. Um, <laughs> we just have little ways that we both know the rhythm we talk in and, and when is a good time to sort of uh, confirm something, when is a good time to sort of bring up a new idea that like derails a thought. Because at the end of the day, we're, we're doing this together. This isn't the Josh show or the John show. This is, mm. this is, this is us together. So... Every day is the Josh show. So when we work, really, downtime is the
0: Kind of, Kind of on that for life. Yeah, so
1: I guess when you're, when you're on set, there is a a very specific way of working with everyone and you don't know it until you're at least a week in, I would say. You, you pick up a little bit and the first time you meet them, first time you talk to them. Uh, yeah. Like for instance, we went to... Uh, Soho House in, in Ludlow uh, in New York and, and met with James and he wanted to know everything about the movie to a point where we, we were just, we were I guess we were expecting someone to just be like, tell me my role and he was asking like what's behind the alien tech of the weapon? How does the gun How work? Does the gun work? We're like, what the fuck do you want to know that for? This is amazing. <laughs> um, okay, it's a plasma based weapon and we <laughs> You know, it's not combustion based. So it's not going to fight, blow up anything with fire. It's more like a sledgehammer hitting something. He's like, "Oh, that's cool." So yeah, like just talking about all the details of the movie, and um, he was he was in from that first meeting. So we kind of got a vibe from him. Yeah. Um, the thing, thing we learned about James is he's just an absolute professional. But he and, came in. He was he was so instantly sort of absorbing everything. He didn't know what we'd already shot, and but but just picked it up so well. And when we'd he'd have a three-page monologue or something, and we'd we'd be like, "Can you change this little thing? Change that to that. That reference of, of this song. Let's put this song instead." And in one take, you'd just nail it all. So yeah, like, you know you've got someone very 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 good on camera that just has a certain confidence. The, the way you speak to James is probably quite different to the way you speak to the the kid who's. Yeah. First timer from Atlanta um, had done, uh, he was, he was one of go. the uh, New Edition characters uh, from the New Edition BET series. He had been behind camera, but he hadn't been in a movie. And we kind of, in a weird way, sort of. Teaching him how to yeah, train trained him to be an actor and, and to sort of how that looks when you're in a scene with James Franco or Dennis Quaid or yeah, you're yeah. meant to be the brother of Jack Rayner. So you, like you, you dudes need to hang out and so we, we really brought a sense of uh work ethic and culture to this kid but, which but was awesome i would say also a big level of less is more i mean he had to really learn that we see everything and you don't need to do a lot and so we walked him into that stuff and you could get away with the line reading with him because he's you know he's first timer and he's a kid and <laughs> he's just he like no okay yeah he doesn't understand so he's just like, yeah, totally cool, and, and he'll deliver it perfectly. I gave Franco a live <laughs> reading at one point. Uh, everybody looked at me like I was crazy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what, what? How did he respond? Um,
1: he was cool. He was cool. It. He James, honestly, James is like really professional and chill, and never had a moment. Absolute acting professional, exactly what the director wants out of an actor. When he was on set, he would not go to his trailer. He set up a chair in the corner on set and read a book and he went through like four books in 10 days so as soon as camera was up it was just like he'd put his book down under a pillow on set or something and just walk over nail it and go back to his book um the way that we would talk to james i wouldn't say was very buddy buddy i'm I'm not going out for beers with james but i am going out for beers with zoe and jack and and even dennis to a certain degree that i'm talking to him different than i'm talking to zoe and Jack and Zoe really had a great connection, this like brother-sister thing. And so they'd hang out. Um, you'd go to a pub and in, in Toronto somewhere and you'd all have a beer and talk about stuff. And that felt very different. We wouldn't have done that with James. Um, James is pretty insular and, and almost comes across shy when he's on set, but he's so focused. He's actually looking at everything. Then Kerry, Kerry Kuhn, we were so lucky to get for such a, it was a bigger role when we were shooting it. She probably had about seven scenes. And then unfortunately we had to cut her role down to like two scenes or three scenes or something by the end of it. But Kerry as a human being was unbelievable. We're gonna be friends for life. Yeah, man, you just gotta figure out what everyone's little path is and jump in onto that and figure out the best way of getting the best material
0: a lot of the directors i've talked to and a lot of my friends who've kind of made movies at that scale their first movies with kind of actual stars attached it's been a part of the learning curve for them for sure is is learning how to navigate that and then also to you know to navigate all the relationships with the cast who everybody needs something a little bit differently you know
1: i think you've got to look at it for what it is you're making a movie with a celebrity and you're that- using their face and their personality for something in your head and you have to make decisions for the movie they're making decisions for their career and their face and their and their brand and so you know be human be be casual be uh, everything that that people want from a crew member on set
0: I'm curious what the experience or the feeling of this film, this thing that's been with you for years, and it starts to calcify as you get closer to having a locked picture, even as you're doing the you know, test screenings and all of this thing. But like at some point you start to realize like the thing you imagined and then the thing that's in front of you, they were never going to line up, um, but the thing that's in front of you is now going to go out into the world. What is the feeling of knowing you're about to put something out that, you know as you were saying you can't hide from i'm I'm curious what that kind of process was not necessarily about the movie being good or bad but really just that kind of like recognizing that like you're about to you know this thing's about to sail off without you
1: it's terrifying i mean press releases and all of that kind of stuff that comes out that that's that's a very sort of different part of the process to filmmaking you know ultimately, you're making something and you're giving your baby to other people, but you do have to realize that the marketing part, uh, department, for example, at a studio, they work independently to you, that it is their job, it is their world, it is their dominion, and they, they kind of don't want your feedback. Either. They, they like, why do I want to know from you? Like, it is, it's like, I'm up now, yeah, I sell movies. My job is you had your job. You made this thing. Now now my job is to sell it. So if you can make friends with them quickly and well, and you all feel like you're on the same team, your movie's going to be benefited massively because really they hold the keys to your film being released and how that looks and how that feels and what it is saying. And so I think one of our biggest problems of why we potentially didn't make more, more money was just what the public thought the movie was versus what it was
0: let's say you had to circle back and and go back right now and start that over again do you feel equipped to better navigate that or is that just like it doesn't really matter like they would you know you're, you're kind of at the mercy of the, the the way that the film is marketed regardless
1: i, I think you, you do have influence you've just got to like you can't burn it all to the ground or else you'll just get booted out of the process and then they'll do whatever they want. So like John was saying earlier, it's pick your battles. And yeah, and a lot of it's about what's what it's um, communicating. One of the best things Lionsgate did was send us, and for some of it, uh, Miles Truett, the, the kid from Atlanta, around the country on a little bit of a press tour. And for, for us, it was such a beautiful experience. It was movie making at its absolute Core. It was talking, it was talking, presenting, to your yeah, audience. presenting something to the audience directly, watching them watch it, and then having a forty-five minute to an hour long Q and A after it, and then a poster signing that went for two hours with lines around the theater, and and people coming up shaking your hand and saying thank you for representing young black men in a, in a hero role in a way that I haven't seen in a sci-fi, and you know, just awesome responses from real people.
0: Oh, that's so cool, man. I mean, I think that's definitely like the the thing for me that I, I think a lot about. And and to some extent, I mean, I, I can only attribute it to, to commercials at the moment just because I don't, you know, I haven't kind of made any narrative work that's gone, that has lived outside of my kind of sharing it with people. But I, I do have that. It, it is something that I feel is such a unique thing to learn as directors is that there is the thing that we like that we all spend our time on and then once it exists, then how people respond to it is so so largely outside of our control. And that, you know, coming to terms with that can yield really amazing things like you guys are saying. It can also keep you up at night feeling like, you know, you wish you could have controlled this situation or people's response, even though that was never going to happen. Whether people love it or hate it, it doesn't it's like you can't you can't do anything about it, you know.
1: That's one of the things, like, as you get into doing your first feature film, the, the reason it took us so long was because we kept saying, this needs to 100% represent us. We cannot be faking this. This needs to be our voice, our movie. This can't be made by another director. And so that obviously that process is a lot of turning things down and a lot of like second guessing yourself and whatever. And And when it came time to make what we made, it was us. So when it goes out into the world, you, you can't feel any other way than just pride for, for what it is and that it does represent you and your creative voice. Whether that thing gets a great review and variety or not is not why you set out to do it. And so the advice from Sean Levy, who's a director and a producer, and he was really important setting up the sort of expectations for us in that period of like reviews and and response and Twitter and all of that, it was just, he's like, I know this is going to be the hardest thing for you to do and to actually live, but don't read reviews. The good reviews will find you.
0: I mean, that's a, it's a tall order. If you've not kind of had the experience of having that much kind of focused attention at any given moment um, on something that you've made, that's a, that's gotta be something that takes time to learn how to process that even and without it kind of you know piercing the the, the core um, identity or protection you have for why you make the things that you make you know
1: and it's, and it's a reason why a lot of filmmakers have given up and only made one movie It'd be a very easy thing to just go oh man like we didn't get like in the 90s on Rotten Tomatoes and and everybody and like offered a Star Wars movie so like let's just go back to commercials and you know it's not it's not why we started it. It's not what we set out to do. And yeah. so I, th- I think the important continuing. the important piece of advice from my side is just, and I think you already have your heart in this place. It's just to know what you're setting out to make and to try to stay as true to that as you physically can, because everything about the process is trying to rip that away from you.
0: Was this experience, did it make you want to... Make another film right away? Or did it make you feel like you needed to go learn how to do something differently? Did it? I, I'm curious what your kind of response on being on the backside of of making this first film. We, was. we
1: definitely learned by doing. So I, I, de- I did. I don't think either of us felt like we need to go away and like do this before we make another. No, not at all. I'll all be honest. It. We I, needed a fucking break. We needed a. Yeah. family time and a, and a vacation. But. Yeah, and, and, you know, to go back and make some money again because the, the money you make on a movie stretched out over an entire movie through a production and post, um, it's gone by the time you finish. So, you know, go back to ads and make some money is a, is a very smart, logical way of being a filmmaker in this industry. And so that's kind of what we did. We had to reset up a lot of things in commercials because they forget about you. We also spent a lot of time, we now have another window open Hollywood knows who we are and so we have to get development going on our other projects of things that we're interested in doing and that takes a lot of time. Nothing can really just jump off super quickly. You've got to give it the effort that it deserves. So we've spent a lot of time since making Kin um, developing different things whether it be TV or film and most of them are our own projects. Um, You've got to have a lot of plates spinning at the same time so that you can jump from one to the other and and feel good about oh this one's gonna go okay great let's do this one
0: totally I've, i feel like that self-generating impulse i i feel like i've always seen in you guys's work it's definitely something that i feel a kinship with a handful of my kind of filmmaking peers who are guys i've either come up with or or guys like yourselves who are you know a few steps ahead Yeah, I mean, I I feel like having seven, eight, nine irons in the fire is like the only path forward.
1: Looking back, I think one of the assets of what the road we walked on was that we had Bagman and we had something to show people. And that sort of culture of just going out and making something, Kin became the reward at the end of that process, right? That that it opened a door and allowed us to go and make a feature film.
0: Totally. Final
1: thought for me, would be like when you think back
0: to making the film, it doesn't even have to be on set. Maybe just the process of actively making this movie. What is the thing that stands out the most about your experience?
1: One thing for me would be the feeling of being in pre-production on a feature film, having a director's office, having a, D, a cinematographer's office down the, the hall and a first AD's down a hall. Having imagery posted Have, on all the hallways and, and walls so that people are walking past it, seeing your movie. Yeah. for You know, spending the time to really find good reference photography and just the theory of it all and putting it up around you and giving yourself a space and so that people walk in and go, ooh, there's an excitement in the room because your movie is on the walls. Like... That, that, to me, is a big memory for making the movie. Um, and that's before anything's really begun. But I would say that the one thing that I heard from uh, Steven Spielberg was you, you don't feel like a director until you've shot your first gunfight. And the day that we got to sort of shoot blanks on set and, you know, just work out the choreography of that, that felt like... That was a real giddy kind of moment of just looking at each other like, yeah, man, we we arrived.
0: (laughs) That's amazing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, think about it. Indiana Jones and stuff like that with Spielberg. I mean, he would have got onto Raiders and been like, I I feel like a director.
0: (laughs) I love it. Well, I mean, I'd love the film then. I mean, I think I know I've I've told you guys that before, but I feel like the fact that the producer like said to you that you guys, you know, that the film that you guys pitched is representative of the film that you made, I feel like to me is like a huge, I mean, even on commercials, I feel like I, a lot of times when I do a commercial, I'll go back after it's all kind of after the dust is cleared and I'll read my original treatment again I know I've done a good job if my treatment matches the final commercial.
1: Well, dude, I, I really appreciate the fact that you spent the time to watch the movie because there is so much content out there at this point that like, I find it a blessing every time someone comes back and said, well, I spent two hours watching your movie. I'm like, man, thank you. Yeah, We're really proud of it. I mean, there's certain things that you look at and you're like, man, it's just like held together just barely, but that's all part of the learning experience. So all right, I've got, I've got one little last piece of advice for you. On me. Really try your hardest to cut your pages down to the point of uncomfortability. You have to spend the time shooting every single scene and you can waste a day very quickly. We probably had at least 10 pages of material that should not have been on the page in the script that we naively said, well we're better off shooting it right, and then you've got the chance to, to cut it out in the edit. One thing that I will never do again is just write or have a script written that's 119 pages and go, well, you know, it could be 110, but like, it's all good stuff. Let's leave that in and we'll shoot it. That was a real learning experience for us that when we got to the edit, we looked at the material that was taken out of the movie and our first cut was like two hours cool. and 26 minutes. And then you, our final film is 97, 90, 96, whatever. That's a shit ton of material that you didn't have to shoot. So that, that is a piece of advice that I think is actually practical that directors can use because we fell into it. And I, I almost feel like an idiot that we shot things that we just shouldn't have shot.
0: No, that's super helpful, especially for me right now because I've my script for stages is is creeped up over 110 pages, and this includes like moments where I've got it written that he, you know, he's playing a song in a concert. So that's probably, you know, that that could be a couple of minutes of in one sentence just to let him actually play the song. And so it feels like I'm starting to get that advice from people of just like, dude, do you really need to go like a b c d here could you just go a to d like i think you'd
1: dude we found that in the edit a hundred percent of like you can go from this to this that's all the stuff that i didn't have the experience with
0: totally well guys seriously thank you for taking the time and 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 chatting with me i think that's uh, that's all. Uh, this is a great conversation i appreciate
1: it very much. Uh, we've, we've definitely been watching your journey and and uh, respect the sort of um the passion and the and the Putting yourself out there and being as, as honest and real as you can. Yeah, and, and our, our ethos on, on the whole filmmaking thing. And I'm just excited to see what you end up doing, man. So good luck with your project uh, whenever that turns out to be. Appreciate it. Awesome.
0: All right, guys. Um, thanks for listening to The Process Dispatch, a conversation about directing between directors. Original music, mix, and editing by Jake McMullen, produced by myself and Anna Ramos. Designed by Tyler Swanner and episode artwork by Sean Bay. Please follow us on all social platforms at The Process Dispatch. For show notes and further information, visit theprocessdispatch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.